Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 3. We will be reading verses 10 through 17. Verse 10. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. This is God's word. We now come to uh, the part of our uh, sojourn in this wonderful book of 1 Peter uh, to more of what the heart of the book is more about, um, and that is how to live in a world as exiles and strangers and sojourners. And a part of living here, as we're going to see more and more, especially beginning today, is um, we're going to suffer while we're here. But at the same time, I want to call it, because I believe that that's what it is, it's radiant suffering. It radiates within us. It shines within our hearts because we have the Spirit of Christ and we know that the eye of God is always upon us no matter what happens to us. He is with us. And at the same time, there's an outward radiation. The world can see through the suffering church, through the suffering individual that gives glory to God. They can see something of what our God is like. Namely, that he is supremely worthy. He is worthy of suffering for. He is worthy of that level of worship. And millions have declared it. Hundreds of thousands have sealed it with their blood. But today, um, uh, this morning, what I want to bring you, though, is, as, as always it seems, it's, it's, it's in my heart like this. 
I want to encourage you in the midst of the prospect of suffering. I want to be used. That's what this passage is really all about. It's about strengthening us uh, for this cause. Peter has been hinting at this uh, previously in other places in, in uh, our sojourn epistle. He says in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, after, after speaking about our grand inheritance in all these superlative terms, he says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. In in chapter 2 and verse 12, after speaking of the warfare that we have as exiles and sojourners, he says this in verse 12. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you, they're going to do that. When they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. On the day of visitation, they'll glorify him by your good conduct, either by coming to Christ before Christ comes back and saying, wow, look at these Christians. I want to be like them. I want, I, I want what they have. Or they'll glorify him in that day by resisting him and coming under his judgment. And his beautiful judgment will uh, take place. Chapter 3, verse 9 just simply says, do not repay. I think we heard this last week. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. That assumes it's going to take place. You know it's taking place. It, it has taken place in your life. But on the contrary, bless. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. And that's what our passage is about. It's about obtaining a blessing in the midst of unjust or incongruent suffering because of righteousness. Our passage is, is designed to comfort and to encourage and to strengthen and, and to give direction. We'll observe in the first place in verse 13 the problem, the unnaturalness or the incongruity of suffering. In the second place, in, in verse 14, we'll see uh, something of the blessedness of suffering. And in the third place, we'll look at some practical directives to those suffering for righteousness' sake in verses 15 through 16. Well, the problem then in verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Uh, the word harm there means uh, uh, mistreatment and implies real damage done. It includes hostile 
or an injurious attitude or activity that produces real damage. Who is there to harm you? If you are zealous, if you are ardent, if you are an eager person, not just for the occasional good, but wholeheartedly. That's what the word zealous there means. If you, if you have a passion for good, is, is the uh, paraphrase that Moffat gives, in, for all good and all expressions of good. Well, the first answer could be, or at least it should be, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? We should be able to say, nobody. Nobody's going to harm the good guy. No one's going to do damage that is real to the good gal. That's not going to happen. It, it should not follow. The second answer might be, all kinds of people. Don't you realize the kind of world that we live in? Generally speaking, that could be a good answer. Our opponents are not all so lenient as we find them in, in the United States. Just look around the world. This is the day which I think every day ought to have something of this in it. This is the day for special prayer for the persecuted church. I want to encourage all of you that are here now, if you can, and if it's not burdensome to you, if, if it's not a troublesome thing, come back tonight and pray with us because that's what we're going to do. We're going to focus on the persecuted church. We're going to try to become more mindful because as our pastor prayed, we are mindless to a large extent. Come back tonight, please, if you can. The third answer to this question, though, could also be, we really don't know. We really don't know who will harm us if we are zealous and passionate about being good, but we do know the words of Jesus, and we can hang our whole souls on what he said in, in, in Matthew 5 and verses 10 through 12. He said, blessed, that that's what Peter was saying too, you are blessed. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Hear Jesus saying this. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus says, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. There is a great reward awaiting you. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He says in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you. And some of you may be feeling this right now. I feel it to a certain extent. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. You should have this peace. He doesn't want trouble to be in your heart. 
In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Hallelujah. What Peter is after here is not so much when or how or how much or at what level or for whom. His theme is the blessedness of it and the preparation for it. So we, we notice in verse 14, in the second place, what is the blessedness of it? Uh, Peter says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. All of the commentators speak of, of the optative mood. I'm, 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 I'm glancing down at Pastor Jonathan. I'm not sure how to define that. But it is expressed in, in the words, if you should suffer or even if you should suffer, as I understand it by putting them all together, it speaks of, of, a, of a possibility for all but not a certainty for all from this particular text. Other texts that we've just read say that, that all, to a certain extent, will experience tribulation. But it is a possibility for all, but not a certainty for all. And it is not a constant experience, but it is a threat that could erupt at any time. And it is also something that can be repeated. It can happen over and over again. It can happen certainly more than once. I think um, if I took a poll here, if I could do such a thing, we would have a certain number of people here who, who have suffered or who are suffering from their righteous activity. That's my take, you know, that's my take on this local election that makes us sad. Why does it make us sad? I can only say why it makes me sad. It makes me sad because we had two righteous men running a righteous campaign, saying to God, here am I. Send me. I will witness for you. I will influence others for you. Whatever legislation I can put on, on, on the table, I'll do it. I, I, I'll join others. I'll oppose everything that you don't like. I don't, I, I, I'll oppose gambling and, and choice when it's not choice at all for an, an unborn child. I'll be fiscally responsible. I'll do those things. Makes me sad. God said, thank you, men. I delight in you. You are godly men. But I am not of a mind to interrupt the preference of the godless people of your state. You are not a part of that, en that engine. You are sojourners. You are exiles. And I'm going to withhold mercy. I'm going to give them what they want. They don't want any change. They want to stay exactly the same. 
So thank you, thank you, brothers, for all of your efforts. Thank you for everyone who prayed. Thank you for everyone who longed for this. And God said no for his own glory. And he'll yet do good. He'll yet use those men, and he'll use us, and he'll use our prayers. And, and, and let's not be sad. Let's be glad that our God reigns forever and ever and ever. Peter says, you, you, you will be blessed. And he says, there is no reason for fear or to be troubled. That word for troubled, there's too much water in here. That word for troubled is, is, is like this. It's, it's, it's the confusion and the unsettledness and the agitation of, of water. If it was in a glass, but you, you can be glad I didn't use that because I might have. But see, what, what he is saying to them is, is there is the prospect of blessing in the midst of it, and there's also future blessing in suffering for the cause of righteousness. We know what David's precious words were when he was troubled. Psalm 56 and, and, and verses 3 and 4 says, When I am afraid... I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh, what can man do to me? The very worst that, that man can do to us is kill us and send us to glory and to heaven. Isaiah 41.10 says, God says to us, fear not. We have a multitude of passages. I've only chosen two. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, because I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Everyone who has suffered, everyone who has suffered unjustly will confirm this. They'll all say, Amen. God was faithful. He never forsook you. He upheld you. He blessed you. He kept you. He spoke to you. He was with you. He never left you. You knew him. You knew him like you didn't know him before when you were suffering. You called upon his name. You cried out for him, and he heard you. He answered you. He blessed you. He comforted you. He strengthened you. That is your testimony. Nobody here will say, Pastor Keith is not telling the truth. They'll all say that. Multitudes will say that. They'll say, I was blessed and strengthened and improved upon. I was more prayerful. I drew near to God like I hadn't done previously. And he drew near to me. He promised he would do that, and he did it. He's mine. That's our testimony. That's what we say. You remember Job. You remember Job. No one ever suffered the way Job did. No one outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we can scarcely compare them, but we, we've got to say that. When, when Job was in such pain and such loss, 
you know the story. You know that his persecutor, for righteousness' sake, was the devil himself. And then his three friends, they were his friends. Oh, that they would shut up and say nothing at all. But they persecuted him. What did Job say? Well, in, in the midst of it, what was his blessing? What could he say? I know my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will take his stand. What did Job say? Though he slay me, I will trust him. That's what he said. That's what he experienced. That's who he was. And the same grace that was available for Job, who never knew why any of this happened, who never got an answer, who, who, who never un, un, understood any of it, he, he knows now. But what a blessing he has become to, to, to all of us. We can always go to Job and say, oh, God, make me like Job. Make me to be a, like an ancient Christian who, who really believes and really testifies to you. Just one other illustration that's very familiar. I, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. He can do that. If he wants to, he can do that. He can deliver us from the fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand. But if not, even if he doesn't, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The persecuted church, I'm telling you, is relentless, un unsurrendering, uncompromising. They're not going to give up. They'd rather go to prison. They'd rather have their property confiscated. They'd rather be tortured. They'd rather do anything than let go of Jesus Christ. What an example they are to us in all of our comfort and all of our irritation over small things to know that there are millions who are suffering for Christ, for righteousness' sake. And all they want... All they want from us, dear people, is want us to pray. That's what they want. Will you pray? They want us to pray that their faith doesn't fail. Will you do that? I'm not talking about just tonight. I'm just talking about as you get information, you can get the app. If you have an iPhone or an Android, you can get the app. Just, just go to the app store and type in the voice of, of, of the martyrs, and you'll get a free five-star app that will allow you to pray every day for the persecuted church. There's only one or two sentences. That's all that comes up. And you can join the others that are praying in this format anyway 
uh, for the persecuted church. But what a comfort. What? To know the power of God in your life, to know the blessing that comes out of heaven when you are suffering, to know his presence, his strength, his comfort that you could not know, you cannot know unless you are suffering. But to know that, to have that, to testify to that, it's a precious jewel. It's more than gold or, or platinum or any other precious metal or stone. Well, in the third place then, uh, 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 we have the practical directives uh, to those who are suffering uh, for righteousness' sake in, in, in verses 15 through 17. But, let, but in your hearts, honor Christ as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Well, we have, um, it looks like, um, A through D as, as, as some practical directives. Letter A would simply be but in your hearts, honor or set apart or sanctify Christ as holy. This is the conscious, intentional enthronement of Jesus Christ in your heart. You do it on, on purpose. You say, my allegiance is to God. He's my king He's my guide, he's my ruler, he's my savior, he's my father, he's my friend, he's my helper, he is my supporter. He's all of these things. What could be done? What is being done by people who do this, who set apart Christ in their hearts as holy, as honorable, as giving their allegiance to him. Edmund Clowney says, when the Lord sanctifies us, he makes us holy. When we sanctify him, we set him apart as in all capitals, the holy one that he already is. We don't make him holy. We recognize his holiness. We treat him as holy. We honor him as holy. That's what we've got to do. And, and how do we do that? We have got to be cultivating daily, personal, private, secret devotion to him in his word and in prayer. There is no substitute for it. There's no other way to get it. You've got to do this on a daily basis. You've got to exalt Christ by reading his word and praying and talking to him and fellowshipping with him and bringing him near to you in your heart and in your thoughts. You must do this. That's the answer. It's the same answer that we've been hearing from each of my fellow pastors. Private devotion and the cultivation of, of personal holiness. That's how you will 
set him apart in your heart. That's how you'll show the supremacy of Jesus Christ in, in, in your heart, in your innermost being, by doing those things. Letter B is always being prepared to make a, a, a defense to any who ask you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Rather than being afraid, rather than being troubled or agitated or stirred up, we should be prepared to explain, to respond, to correct, to help somebody who opposes us. We can say sometimes, you know, um, if, 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 if you get in an argument like this, I, I, I find myself in these things from time to time. Um, you can say things like, you know, you know I'm, I'm really sorry uh, that you feel that way. Um, uh, maybe I could give you a different perspective that, that you, you could consider if you're letting me. Or, or I can say, um, hey, you know, really, um, if I offended you in any way, please, please forgive me. That's not, that was not my intention. In, intention. I just, I, 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 I wanted to be of help to you if I could. And then other times we, we have to say, um, if we're going to, to have an answer, to defend the faith, and, and you're asked a hard question, and, and you don't immediately have the answer, you can say, hey, um, you, know, you know, I want to look into that. <laughs> I don't have the answer, but I want to get you the answer. And let's say we get together again, and I will bring you the answer. There are all kinds of strategies like that, but what, what, we, what we really want to do, according to the text, it says always, always being prepared. How will you always be prepared? Ah, the same answer. Personal, private devotion. Reading the Word of God. Having that sword in your hand. Attending on these means of grace that Heritage Baptist Church offers. That's, that will help. That you cannot live, you can't live without it. But notice that it says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone, to anyone who asks you for a reason, uh, for the hope that is within you. You have a solid hope within you. You know that Jesus is yours. You know that you have an inheritance, that you're on your way to heaven, that, you'll, that you can't lose it. It will always be yours. You, you have that solid hope. You can give a reason for that hope. Our faith is reasonable. The Bible makes sense. Reasonable arguments can be used. You can say, well, <clears throat> give me your explanation. Then. I'd like to hear yours, really. Don't say it like I'm saying it now. I, I, I seem like a smart aleck. If, if I said, well, wh why don't you tell me? <clears throat> tell, tell me what you believe. Tell me, um, 
I, I, I just can't do it when I'm standing up here. If I was sitting down, I could do that. You know what I'm trying to say. Be, be, be winsome and, and ask them, and then you can give your reason. We are never to be unprepared. We are never to be unwilling. Do not put your candle under a basket. Even the smallest candle, the smallest flame in a darkened room brings light. If, if this room were pitch black and all I had was a candle and I was holding it like this, you could see me. You could see something. So regardless of, of, of how big a flame you have, let it shine, brother. <laughs> let it shine, sister. May, may God help us. May, may he help us not to be unprepared or unwilling because defending the faith is a privileged place to be. You can at least defend it with your kids. Defend it with your teenagers, with your young children. Show them how reasonable and how wonderful and how happy you are to be a Christian. Tell them about it. Uh, letter C, which we've already hinted at, is the manner or how we should do it. Do it with gentleness and respect. There's no room, as, as I couldn't show you, I, I want to show you, but I can't do it now. There, there's no room that's to, to, to talk down to anyone, but with meekness, with humility, with a winsome spirit, um, um, ask if, if you can explain something or, or, or make something more plainer. 1 Timothy 2, 24, the, the uh, proverbial passage says simply this, and the Lord's servant, the Lord's bondservant, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. So we are not to be irritated, we are not to be short, not impatient, not in kind, but exercise ourselves in this. We've seen that. We've seen that... Uh, 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 through godly men and women in, 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 in like documentaries and talk shows and things like that. We're amazed. I praise God for Billy Graham. I have never seen him misspeak or show a negative countenance. He's a godly man. Even though we may not agree with him on everything, he represents Christ well. He is so pleasant and so kind and so winsome and so humble, and you cannot offend him. I would like to be like him. Uh, letter D, then, is, is, uh, is having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in, in Christ may be put to shame. Rain. Wayne Grudem simply says this, in order to have a good conscience, conscience, one, we should avoid consciously or willfully disobeying God throughout each day. Don't do that. Consciously avoid that. Number two, continuing to practice immediate repentance and prayer for forgiveness whenever one becomes aware of any sin in one's life. Those two things. Don't purposely sin. Resist it. 
you'll have a good conscience. If you do sin, confess it and pray and ask for forgiveness and ask to be strengthened against it. You'll have a good conscience. Good behavior carries its own testimony. Uh, Peter had already said this in verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Keep it excellent, I think the New American Standard says, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Well, Scott McKnight, uh, the author of the New International Commentary, which is so wonderful, uh, he calls um, letter E God's perfect way. Verse 17 says, For it is better to suffer for doing good. If, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. It's better. It's better because it pleases God. It radiates out of you. It's better because your reward is great. That's what Jesus said. That's what he said. You have a great reward because it is a strong witness for Christ. Others see that and they wonder about it and, 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 they, they, and they might want something that you have. It's better because you will see the power of God in your life. You'll feel his nearness. You'll feel his approval, his, his, his delight in you. You'll have all of these things. But as Pastor Mark taught us last week, there's a possibility, uh, well, it's actually occurred, that Christians can be evil. They can do evil things. They can gossip, can't they, Pastor? They can misunderstand. They can malign you. They can be unkind to you. Some of the deepest wounds that Christians experience counterintuitively are right in the midst of the church of the people of God. Well, here we see he's speaking to Christians. He says, for it is better to suffer for doing good if, if that should be God's will than to suffer for doing evil. Christians suffer for, for, uh, for doing evil. And you're going to say to me, what are you talking about? What evil? Have you ever gotten a speeding ticket? How many of you have gotten a speeding ticket? Don't put your hands up. I've gotten one long, 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 long time ago. But I got one. I was doing evil. I was breaking the law. On, on the Christian side of it, though, how many of you are honoring the Lord from your wealth that your barns may be filled with plenty and your vats overflow with new wine? Are you doing that? If you're not doing that, then you may bear God's rod I'm not trying to control you by guilt. I'm just saying that you may have a purse that has holes in it. Ray Ortland says, 
It's not how much you have in your hand. It's whether your hand is clenched or whether it's open. That's all there is to it. Christians can suffer because they do wrong. Christians can arrive late to work. They can do shoddy workmanship. They can do things like that. They can miss out on a salary increase because of their conduct. They can do that. We're not always the best we should be. But Peter simply says in the perfect way of, according to McKnight, for it is better to suffer for doing good than if it should be God's will, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Wow. Let me give you seven summary certainties. Just seven. One. If we have or are or will suffer for righteousness, it will be the all-wise and loving will of God for us. That will be our testimony. Number two, there are radiant blessings in our sufferings, uh, both within us and what shines out of us. Number three, there is no reason to be fearful or troubled about suffering because God is always with us. Number four, Christ is the master of our lives and the fountain of all the good that can come from us to others. Number five, suffering may provide us with an opportunity to witness to others concerning the solid, unshakable, glorious hope we have. Number six, some will be ashamed of their reviling our good behavior in, in this life. Others will be eternally ashamed that they refused the testimony we gave and that they rejected Christ. Number seven, we must avoid suffering ever for doing evil. Let us only suffer we're doing what is right. And of course, as we're going to see more fully next week, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is the perfect fulfillment of all of these things. There is no one who did not suffer more consistently, more completely, more entirely, more perfectly, more radiantly, more beautifully than Jesus Christ himself. The crime of the century, the crime of generations, the crime of civilization is the crucifixion of the spotless Lamb of God. But what radiates out of his sacrifice? A righteousness for us, the free forgiveness of sins. That's what we have. That's what we enjoy. And because he has done so much for us, what limitation can we put on our service to him? That's what we've got to say to ourselves. He is my savior. I am his servant. I, I, I am one of God's sons or daughters. I'll just close with a quote from James Smith. He says this, Give me thy power, O God of power, 
give me thy strength. Let the winds blow or the thunders roar. Thy faithful witness will I be. This fixed, I can do all through thee. I can do it all. Fulfill thy sovereign counsel, Lord. Thy will be done. Thy name adored. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for talking to us today uh, through your word, for giving us um, the understandings that we need to have in the world that we live. We praise you uh, that we can be blessed, we will be blessed when we suffer for righteousness' sake. We do pray uh, because they're part of our family, that the, and, and so important, Bill and Tim will know the blessing and testify of it. And others here who are suffering because of righteousness' sake, these ladies that stay with their husbands, these dear sisters who suffer every day, the flames lick about their spirits, as Spurgeon says, and, and, and burn continually. These who have difficult jobs or relationships, whatever, but, but they put you first. God, give us all grace. May we, we prepare each day by the, per, the private, personal de devotion to you and not take it lightly. Start with something. Start with five minutes, ten minutes, whatever. Make us to begin. Make us to pray. Oh, author prayers in our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit, descend upon Heritage Baptist Church. Make us only to suffer for what is doing good and not for evil. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his praise. Amen. Amen.